Hello, my name is Mike Booth, and I'd like to speak to you for just a little bit to tell you about Risen Fellowship, our church, and how it began, and what our focus and what our primary ministry is about. In uh, April of 2014, I'd resigned the church that I'd been at for almost 21 years as pastor, and as I resigned, I had no idea what I was wanting to do. I didn't know if God wanted me to go back into a business world. I'd been in the oil field years before I'd started in ministry, and I was ready to do that probably more than even go and be in a ministry. And after I resigned, I went down to see my brother down in Houston, and as we were eating supper one night, he looked at me and he said, you know, I think there'd be a lot of people that you've been their pastor for a number of years that would still want you to be their pastor why don't you just start another church and see who would come with you? And I was like, man, I don't know if I want to do that. I said, you know how much money it costs to start a church this day? You got to, you know, go out and find land and you got to buy the land and you got to find a place to meet until you build a building. And I was like, it just costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to do all those things and to get going. And I said, and besides that, in South Oklahoma City, more Norman, there's already hundreds of good evangelical churches. And why would I want to spend the money to start another one when we have all those? And so on that Friday night, I told him that and felt pretty good. A, that's where I was and just go see what God had for me. And I came back home and it was my first Sunday after I had made my announcement that I was uh, resigning the church I was at and had a few more weeks to serve there before my tenure would be completed. And after that first Sunday, I was at home and my daughters came over to the house and they looked at me and they asked me a question that I had not thought of before. They said, uh, after you finish this the last two weeks that you have, where are you going to go to church? And I hadn't thought about that until my daughters asked me that. And I was like, well, I've gone to church for the last 27 years wherever I was on staff and actually started on staff of the church I'd been a member of for seven years before that. So I'd for 34 years, that question had never come to my mind. And so I said, you know, I don't know. I said, but uh, I, I do know one thing. I've been teaching through 2 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about that we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This isn't um, unbelievers. This isn't the great white throne judgment of whether you're saved and going to heaven or not. It's like that this is for believers. We stand before Christ and we all have to give an account of our lives and how we spent it, whether it was good or bad. And I said, during the time that I've been the pastor of this church in 20 years, I started thinking about how much money we received during the first year that I was there and how much money we were receiving at the time I was leaving. And I've been there for 21 years. I started averaging all that out. And I started thinking in my own mind real quick. I was like, man, during this tenure of 21 years, God's given us almost $30 million. And I looked at my daughters and I said, now, I was the kind of pastor that was involved in things, but I didn't dictate what was going on. And I knew how the money was spent. And I knew that almost 50% of the money that was given to the church went to pay for the staff and the secretaries and personnel benefits. And I said, then another 25 to 30% of that money went to pay for buildings, whether it was building payments or utilities, upkeep or insurance, whatever. I was like, 75 to 80% of the money that God had given us for that time that I'd been a pastor there, I'd used to have the staff in the buildings to try to get people to come to that church. I said, I, I don't know if this is due, but I said, if I could find a church that had turned that upside down, if I could find a church that was giving away half of the money that God gave them for local and global missions, I think I'd join that church in a heartbeat. And without even ever contemplating this before, I just looked at my daughters and I said, but I see a couple of problems with that. Number one is I don't even know if a church like that exists because I've never heard of it. I said, number two, if a church like that does exist, it's going to be hard to find because they're not going to own property. They're not going to have buildings. They're not going to have vans. They're not going to be doing all these different social things. Uh, they're going to be involved in what I believe to be the mission of the church. And so two days after telling my brother, no, I don't 
think I want to start a church. When my daughters asked me that, I said that to them, I said, well, if I can't find a church like that, and if God were to put on my heart to start a church like that, I'd pray about it. That's about as far as I would commit to it because I just wasn't really ready to think about trying to start a church. Well, during the next few weeks, I had friends that came over and they were worried about it and they wondered about what I was going to be doing. And I'd started doing some reading from a book that uh, one of the other staff members had given me. I started reading about different kinds of churches. And so the organized church, like we're so used to, that has all the cultural aspects of how we uh, talk about going to church and everything, I was reading about a different kind of church called the organic church. It's places where people literally uh, just go out and share the gospel and they multiply uh, by making disciples and just keep sending them out. And so I had some of those people coming over and I would tell them a little bit about that. And so they were all asking me about starting a church. And I said, well, if you want to start a church like we've just come from and like you're a member of right now, I said, just go back there. It's a great church. Uh, I'm not going to go into competition with that, but I said, if anybody's interested in looking at starting a church with a different focus and one that would be looking at giving away 50% of their income to local and global missions, uh, then we could pray about that. And so uh, after a few weeks, uh, we that we had a group of people that were wanting to do that. So a couple of months later, we started Risen Fellowship on June the 1st of 2014. And that was with the goal of involving ourselves with local and international missions. The other thing about it is as we were starting a church, we realized we didn't have to start our own mission program. Uh, there were people that already God had called into missions, whether they were working here in Oklahoma City or whether they're working in another state or whether they're working overseas that they had already uprooted themselves like Abraham did and gone to the place that God had called them to. And they were there trying to serve uh, others and trying to share the gospel. And those kind of people were living off breadcrumbs compared to what people were making and living off in the United States. And they were going to be able to provide for their family if they were going to have enough money to do ministry. Uh, I felt like we needed to just look at those that we had relationships with and not be a mission program where we were just given to a corporate body deal that was had all these people out there and we knew who didn't know who they were we wanted to be involved in the lives of the people we were serving and so we didn't have to go out and send new people out on the mission field there were plenty of them out there and so we actively began uh, giving monthly support uh, to missionaries some of them here in Oklahoma City some of them uh, in Ohio some of them in Colorado but then we also went overseas and we were giving money to people uh, in uh, India we were giving people to uh, money to people in Austria in Ukraine uh, Cambodia just different places in the world that God had already called them to and we were help supporting them to be able to fulfill the mission and the passion that they had in their heart. Uh, and a lot of that began in my heart because one of the a lot of them that we supported were people that we supported at my former church too, uh, as I pastored it. And one young man had uh, gotten really close to, and he was serving overseas in the east. And uh, he had sent back a letter to all of his uh, supporters that after eight years of serving there and not having any conversions to Christ, they finally were seeing uh, some reward uh, of their labors, and people were starting to make commitments to follow Christ, and it started in one village, and soon it uh, began to multiply out into different villages, and they lived in a very mountainous region in the country they were living in, and it was very difficult for them to get there by foot or by bicycle, 
And so he sent a letter out to all the supporters saying, we need to buy a van. And they weren't trying to buy a brand new van or anything like that. They said $13,000 to $16,000 would buy them a good used van and would help not only he and his wife, but also the other couples that were working with them. There were like four couples working that region. It would be able to help them get from village to village, continue to disciple people and to continue to see others coming to Christ. And so we looked at it and we had $4,000 to be able to give to them. And I thought, well, that's great. That's a good beginning. If we give 4000 surely the other uh, supporters would be able to come up with the rest and they'd be able to get their van. And he sent this out in about August or September of that year. And he came home on furlough for Christmas in December. And when I got to meet with him, I asked him, I said, hey, did you, did you get your van? And he looked down and looked very disappointed. He said, no, he said, we only raised about $6,500 and couldn't do that. And I started thinking, $13,000, that's not a huge amount of money, especially in the face of what we see people in churches spending on themselves, whether it's family life centers or whatever, you know, millions of dollars being spent just to almost just minister to our flesh. And it was like, that's not a huge sacrifice for it. It really broke my heart that this young man didn't get that. So as we started a new church, that was the kind of thing we wanted to be about. And so we set off to do that. And, and here almost three years later, uh, we've been faithful to that. And uh, I think the, I don't really keep total tabs on all that, but I think we've received somewhere about $350,000 in offering and we've given well over 180000 of that uh, to local and global missions. And the great thing about that is the ones that we give to other than feeding orphans in India, uh, we know who these people are and they come and when they're on furlough, when they're back in the United States, they always come and they give us a, a report of what's going on. Just got a, um, a text the other day and uh, the couple that we support in Cambodia, they left Oklahoma City and uh, they went over there to give their lives to rescuing children out of the sex trafficking trade that Cambodia is one of the largest countries of, of, of volume of uh, taking kids and selling them into sex trafficking and everything. So they've gone over there to help rescue those uh, children and they're going to be back here uh, for a couple of weeks in the month of June and we've got them set up to have a fellowship with us on a Saturday at our house and going to invite our church family over and other people to come meet them and just hear what God is doing in their lives and everything. So part of the reward is not only just giving half of our money to people like that, but to know them and to be able to hear what God is doing uh, in and through them as they uh, go out and they uh, serve where God's called them to serve. But you know, we can't be a church if all we're doing is looking at helping other missionaries. I mean, there are a lot of mission organizations out there to do that. If we're going to be a church, we really felt like we had to participate uh, in what that mission was too. And uh, the funny thing about it is it seemed like to me as I examined my life, of the years that I'd spent, whether it was a staff member or pastor, it seemed like uh, we'd really gone about calendaring events and having programs and uh, ministries to do all these things. And it almost seemed, as I was looking at it, it as like we would do anything and everything except for the one thing that Jesus Christ told his disciples to do. You know, as he was leaving this earth after he had already risen from the dead, he appeared to him on different occasions. And at the conclusion of the Gospel of Matthew, it's those verses in chapter 28 that we all hold to. And most of us know that beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It seemed like a lot of our activity and a lot of our focuses in church, even though we could kind of say, well, we're trying to fulfill the Great Commission, was ministering to people and their social needs, uh, their financial needs, and very seldom were we actually moving out to make disciples. And so we thought, if we're supporting people that's doing that in the United States and across the world, we need to be able to do it in our own community. So we became focused on discipling one another, holding each other accountable to what we were doing with our lives, and to actually come back weekly or biweekly and just say, have you got to share Christ with anyone? Did you get to train anybody and help them be encouraged in their walk and their faith and to really sow the seed of the gospel everywhere we could get a chance. And then if we did, to be praying not only for the people who sowed the gospel seed, but to those that received it and asking that the Holy Spirit would be able to take that. Because one of the other things that I really believe is such a um, guilt motivation in our church is we talk about, have you won anybody to Christ? Well, there's none of us that can win anybody to Christ. There's only one person in this universe that can lead anybody to Christ, and that's the Holy Spirit. And we don't need to try to take his job and do his job. It's just that Jesus Christ as Lord over the church has said, we're going to use you, and you're going to be our mouthpiece. You're going to be our hands. You're going to be our feet. And we're going to let you join us in the ministry of reconciliation, of bringing people back to God who've been far from God. You're the agents. Uh, matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when it goes on from the end of that about that we all stand before uh, the judgment seat of Christ, it talks about that we are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, that verse that everybody knows, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And look, new things have come. Everything is from God. And God was reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. All of us have connections with people and relationships that we're the only ones that have those. And if we are in Christ, then that's the sphere of influence that Christ wants us to work. He wants us to open our mouths and share the gospel. And as we share, then depend upon the Holy Spirit to take that seed and to maybe bring that to fruition. Uh, and not only that, it says that everything is from God who was reconciled the world to himself through Jesus Christ, and he's given us the message of reconciliation. And if we share the message of reconciliation, then our responsibility is through. We've, we've completed what God has wanted us to do. If we share the message of Jesus Christ, and if somehow we talk about the sinless life of Christ, the death of Christ on the cross, that he was buried and that God raised him from the dead, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no matter how we share that, whether it's through the Roman road or whether it's through the four spiritual laws or whether it's the one verse evangelism or whether it's EE or CWT or three circles, it doesn't matter what format we use. As long as we share the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've shared the the gospel. And then it's up to the Holy Spirit uh, to be able to bring uh, that person to Christ. And the last verse of that chapter 5, verse 21 says that God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. Literally, when, when Jesus was on that cross, all of our sin, the sin of the world, was placed upon him. 
And he didn't die from the brutality of the crucifixion of what took place from the Romans. He died of a broken heart, the sin that had separated man from God. He, he literally took upon that punishment of himself and he died of a broken heart. God made him who did not know sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so we want to be able to give our lives into making disciples. I can remember that through the 80s and early 90s, the, the deal in the church was to be a seeker-sensitive church and to try to market the gospel in such a way that wouldn't be offensive uh, to people, that they would be more open to hear it if we almost come at them as a secret agent and they didn't know what we were doing to them. And words like uh, a disciple uh, seem like archaic words out-of-date words, and I can even in my own life remember, like, I'd rather be called a believer, or I'd rather be called a Christian, or I'd rather be called anything other than a disciple, because that's just an outdated term. Uh, But now, in the last three years of my life, uh, the word disciple has taken on a, a new depth to me, because to be a disciple is, uh, the true meaning of what it means to follow Jesus Christ, and, uh, as uh, David Platt said in, um, in, in his book, uh, Follow Me, he said in Matthew 14, Jesus called the disciples and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And David said, so if you consider yourself a follower of Christ and you're not fishing for men, you may not be the follower of Christ you think you are. And so I really started evaluating my own life and thinking, you know, as a pastor, as a staff member, I've sat in church for years and I've talked to anybody that would come to my office uh, about Jesus Christ, and I've been fortunate to be able to share the gospel with many people and see many people make that commitment to following Christ. I've been fortunate to baptize many people uh, in the ministry that God has given me. Uh, But now as I look back and evaluate what I've done and I not only look ahead to what's left of my life, I don't have another 21 years to pastor a church, but... I do have days left and I want to run the race as well as I can. I want to finish the race as well as I can. And the only way I can do that is by becoming a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, which means I'm devoted to connecting with him. I connect to him through his word, reading his word. I connect to him through prayer. Um, I try to obey what I read uh, from his words, the simple words, and and not get involved so much in programs and and things like that, but just hearing Jesus say, do this, and I go do it. Uh, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And so again, if we're not obeying him, on the simple things that he's told us to do about making disciples, then how deep is our love for him? So I try to live my life as a disciple that's being willing to connect with him, uh, being obedient to what I hear him say, but then to share. Uh, Share the gospel of Jesus Christ every time I get an opportunity. And sometimes it's not a complete gospel, but sometimes it's just sharing love with people and just uh, rejoicing with those who are rejoicing and weeping those with those who are weeping. Uh, So just try to share the gospel and then uh, look forward to being able to train anybody that wants to go further in their walk with Christ because being a disciple is not just about attending a church service once a week. Uh, Being a disciple is about being involved in a uh, 24-7 relationship. Discipleship is relationship. And Jesus built a relationship with those guys for three and a half years and then he released them. 
And I believe that in discipleship, we need to be able to not only share the gospel to see people come to Christ, but we need to train people to release them, not hoard them up into our own church, into our own ministry, but to just give them the gospel, give them the confidence that the Holy Spirit's living in them and send them out and hold them accountable. Uh, just to say, I'm going to check back with you in a couple of days and see how that went. And, you know, if they don't, then just keep loving them, keep working with them. And so if you look at that acronym, connect, obey, share, and train, Jesus told us to count the cost of being a disciple. And so I believe if we look through those steps and not worry about what uh, service schedule is and what uh, missions program we can be involved in or short-term mission trip we can go on, but just how we can count the cost of being a disciple, how we can connect with him, obey, share, and train, then I think we'll become what the Lord Jesus wants us to be. Another interesting thing is uh, why we chose the name Risen Fellowship. And if you look us up, uh, we even decided to spell it uh, with a Z instead of an S just to mess people up. So we have a lot of time people read it and say, oh, Risen Fellowship. Uh, no, it's Risen. But the reason why we went with Risen as the name of our church is because the crucifixion is the atonement. I mean, that is the one sacrifice for all sin. And it's sufficient for the whole world, but it's sufficient only to those who by faith trust what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. But the crucifixion without the resurrection is not the complete gospel. If we didn't have Sunday that followed the Friday of the crucifixion, we wouldn't have the gospel. And the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead and then to appear to his disciples over the 40 days, um, that resurrection is what we uh, place our hope in. Uh, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it really centers not so much on the crucifixion of Christ, but on the resurrection. So we chose Risen Fellowship just so when people heard the name of our church, they would realize that we are serving a risen Lord. I appreciate the time that you've given me to talk to you today, and I want to let you know that in just the near future here in the next podcast that will be coming up, I'm going to talk to you about discipleship. I'm going to expand a little bit further on that 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 about the message and the ministry of reconciliation, and I believe that'll help disciple you wherever you're at, and it can be supplementary to whatever you're doing, whatever church you're attending and participating in. And then also in future podcasts, I want to be able to talk to you just about some of the missionaries that we are supporting and what God is doing in their lives and through them and the effect that they're having. Uh, it's going to be interesting because you'll hear about uh, some uh, couples that are going into Muslim countries where the gospel has to be underground. They can get arrested for being and even just meeting together with other Christians. And that God is doing some uh, remarkable things and people are getting saved uh, and becoming followers of Christ, even though they have to do it underground. But they're seeing um, more and more people even being baptized as a believer in Christ. So I want to be able to share some of those stories, uh, just like I kind of shared about the couple that's working in Cambodia, uh, rescuing kids from the sex trafficking. I want to be able to tell you what God is doing uh, through that. So I hope you'll look forward to some of those future podcasts and join me when you get them out there. <laughs>